Hi, my name is Eloise, and welcome to the Take Me to the World Musical Theater Podcast. This is a podcast about musical theater and musicals and things. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about musicals. This is what we're doing on this podcast. So, I always do a couple of quick announcements. Going to run through this pretty quickly. Uh, my name is Eloise. I like musicals. If you want to know why I like musicals, go to my blog, takemetotheworld.com. Click on the podcast category. Go back to episode one. It's all there. That podcast category, that's where I have links to past episodes of the show, where you can find them online on podcast apps and that sort of thing. I also have resources in each episode, so if I talk about a musical, there's a link to where you might be able to listen to the show or buy tickets or whatnot. Listener discretion is advised because sometimes I swear because musicals are the fucking dopest thing in the world. And also, um, these are all my opinions. Now, I'm not one... I wouldn't say I don't check facts on everything, but I haven't really done a lot of research, especially with this episode. This episode, I'm going to be talking about opening numbers, prologues, and then, and that sort of thing. Um, I was originally going to split this up into two. I don't know. I'm going to try to do it all in one, but I'll be honest. Like These are just kind of conclusions I've come to on my own. Maybe somebody else has drawn these conclusions. Maybe other people haven't. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so that's that. If you want to hear my opinion on some stuff, I don't know. This is why you're listening to me ramble. I'm very bad for putting out episodes. The last episode was about Hamilton, and that was several months ago. And I was looking on my blog, and I noticed that the first episode of this series I launched like a year ago in September. Not quite a year ago, as the date of this recording. So, I need to get something out. I'm very bad for, like... I'll record, I've recorded a bunch of episodes, and then I deleted them all because then I started listening to them, and then I was like, this is garbage fire. So my key with this one is I'm just recording this, and then I'm going to post it. I'm not going to listen to it, which sounds like the stupidest thing in the world because that's like writing something and then not editing it. Why wouldn't you do that? But I tell you guys, if I try to go back and like listen to it and like edit it to take out all the ums and ahs and ha's and all that stuff that I'm going to be saying once in a while in the empty spaces, I'm just, it's going to take forever and it's going to be three months later and then I'm going to listen to it again and I'm going to go, well, this is horrible and nobody wants to hear this and why do I exist? So let's not do that. Let's just get the anxiety part of our brain to calm the F down and let's talk about musicals. Let's talk about opening numbers. I've also sort of decided from now on, at the end of the episode, I'm not going to talk about what the next episode's going to be because that's been really kind of limiting me to what I need to talk about because then it's like, on the next episode, we're going to talk about this thing. And then I might start recording it and go, I don't really want to talk about this right now. I'd rather talk about something else. So on the next episode, I'm going to talk about something related to musicals at some point, but I don't know what that's going to be. So let's get going with the episode. All right, so I've kind of figured out I don't know, in my own brain. Then this may be a real thing, this might not be a real thing. I don't know. I didn't study musical theater. But I've kind of noticed there's usually like four different types of opening numbers. Sometimes, but not always including an overture. So there's overtures, which are instrumental pieces. There are uh, prologues. There are preludes. And then there are the other opening numbers, which encompass all other opening numbers. So if the opening number doesn't have overture or prelude or prologue in it, then it's probably 
uh, in the last category, which I'll just call general opening numbers. I don't know. I'm making some of this up as I go along. Uh, overtures I'm including, but I also believe that... Okay, so I'm going to talk about overtures in a second, but I believe that if a musical has an overture, then the second number, which is usually a number that somebody in the cast sings or multiple people in the cast sing, would be the opening number. So let's talk about overtures. So not every musical is going to have an overture, but some do. And what an overture is, is it's an instrumental piece of music that usually happens at the very start of a musical before any dialogue is spoken or sung or any action takes place on stage. It's kind of like you're listening to um, a preview of what's to come. Now, there are some exceptions, like the fan of the opera. There's a prologue first and then an overture, and I'll get into prologues a little bit later, but usually the overture is first. It's a full song, it's usually a few minutes long, but some overtures can be a bit shorter. And so, why do some musicals have overtures? Well, uh, gonna briefly fly through musical theater history, blah 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 blah. Musical theaters weren't invented by one person, they were evolved over years from different elements of music and theater, like opera, comic operas, operettas, vaudeville, pantomime, just a few forms of theater that have influenced musicals. And I'm going to admit, I'm not an expert in opera, but I know that many operas have an overture. So to me, in my very non-academic opinion about this subject, it makes sense that musicals, having evolved from operas, incorporate overtures into their shows, or some of their shows. And this is especially true with a lot of older classic musicals, like uh, Gypsy, South Pacific, Micro Lady, to name a few. Now, that's not to say that newer musicals can't have overtures, because some newer-ish ones do, like The Phantom of the Opera that I mentioned, Nine, and Spamalot has an overture. I mean, technically, the first song in Spamalot is a 19-second song called Tuning, where the orchestra tunes, tunes their instruments, and a character comes on stage asking the band if they're ready to go. But Spamalot is a musical comedy, and it's based on Monty Python sketches, and there's a lot of fourth-wall-breaking meta-commentary, that sort of thing, spoofing different musical theater aspects. So, there you go, but they do have an overture. There is another reason to have an overture in a musical other than that's how operas were and that's how a musical should be. A musical uh, with an overture, it's a nice way to let the audience know that the musical is starting and they need to shut the fuck up now. So, by this point, you know, the house lights have gone down. There's, you know, so that's a nice signal to show people it's time to shut up. The musical's starting. And usually there was the announcement saying, you know, turn off your cell phones and no video recordings and pictures, etc., etc. So the overture starts and it's like, the show is beginning. That is the signal. Stop talking to your friend, shut the fuck up, and let's do this thing. And second, an overture isn't just a random song that's stuck at the beginning of the show, all willy-nilly. It's often a medley of different songs or musical themes and motifs from songs that will happen in the show. So it's not going to contain every single song or musical motif or theme in the musical, but it's going to contain some of them, maybe some of the more pertinent ones. So an overture kind of preps your mind for the musical and the music you're going to hear. So I'm not saying you have to get all robotic brain during the overture and be like, I gotta retain this. What does this mean? Is that a D flat or a B sharp? What is that? Like, what? whatever. No, don't need to do that. You just need to be like, oh, okay, so I'm getting used to these these songs, this medley of music, 
oh, and then when you hear it later on, you go, oh, okay, that's, I heard that before, so, you know, I'm used to it, kind of, like, familiarizes yourself. It gets everybody kind of on the same page. So I like to think of a musical's overture as a poster for the movie, for a movie. So if you look at a movie poster, you're not going to go like, oh, wow, I know the entire plot of the show. But you're going to look at the movie poster and you're going to go like, oh, hey, well, this is a horror movie. Or, okay, this is a family film. You know, you're going to kind of get the gist of what might be coming up. You might not know everything, but you get the tone, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And then I think the last point about an overture that people might overlook is that it lets us enjoy the orchestra or the band that's playing in the musical. Playing music, especially if it's on a professional level, is very difficult, at least in my brain. I mean, I took 10 years of piano and I still don't feel comfortable playing in front of people and I still have to like re-remind myself how to read notes. Like, oh look, there's there's two sharps, so that's an F and a C, so okay, make sure to do those two and like that sort of thing, right? Like, so somebody who can just play music professionally and have it sound good that's pretty amazing and then when you're playing with multiple people you know to me that's pretty incredible so the orchestra playing the band playing an overture it's sort of like we get to enjoy just them because for most the rest of the musical I mean yeah there's going to be like you know instrumental kind of moments in between scenes and during songs but for a lot of the songs it's going to you're going to be focusing on What's on stage? What are the characters singing? What are they doing? What's the action? What's happening in the story? So you're going to be less concerned about like, oh, listen to this music. That's pretty awesome. So it's sort of like a way for the band to sort of, or the orchestra to, I don't want to say show off, but to just be like, this is what we're doing. We're pretty cool. That's what I feel. So when I listen to a musical at home, I often skip the overture just because as I mentioned before, it is kind of a way to prep your brain for the show, and so I already know the show, so I feel like I don't have to listen to it. Sometimes I'll listen to an overture, sometimes I won't, but I do always enjoy listening to an overture at the theater, and I think it's part of the experience. If you're somebody who comes in late just because you don't listen to an overture or something, then you're a fucking asshole. Sorry, not sorry, but them's the rules. I think it's also important to note just for film movies that oftentimes the overture is what would be playing over the opening credits. So uh, things like West Side Story, Sweeney Todd, they have overtures in the movie versions even though their stage productions do not just because they need to have some sort of musical thing happening while you're watching the credits because most opening credits of any movie are going to have either music or something happening. It's not just going to be scrolling words of nothing, right? So that's overtures. Now let's move on to preludes. So a prelude is a type of song dating back to the Baroque period of music. I'm going to say classical music, but technically classical music is a different type of music than Baroque music. I guess it's kind of like Comparing, like, rap music to R&B, there can be some overlap, but it's, they're also their own things, too. So a prelude is, like, a little song that comes before a larger piece or movement of music in a composer's work or something. So pretty much every classical composer has done a prelude of some kind. So if you just go online and you search... so. In music, there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Those are the keys. Then you can have flats or sharps. 
So if you search for something like prelude in E flat and then do major or minor, E flat major, you're going to find something, probably. If you do prelude in G sharp minor, you're going to find something. Prelude in C major, you're going to find something. Whatever. The Back in the day, song titles were very, like, uh, not very inventive. It was all, here's a prelude, here's a sonata, here's a rondo, whatever. You know, that sort of thing. So when we're talking about musical theater... A prelude isn't going to be in every musical. In fact, it's and and I'm, when I say prelude, I'm literally referring to a song at the beginning of a musical that has the word prelude in it. So, like overtures, preludes can be found in operas, and some musicals will have a prelude as their opening number. And in some musicals, the prelude can be long; some will be short. It can be an instrumental piece, or it can be filled with some dialogue and singing. One musical that has a prelude in it is Next to Normal. Now, the song is just called Prelude, and it's actually only 26 seconds long. It's an instrumental piece, meaning there's no singing or dialogue. And while the prelude is very short, it contains a musical theme that is heard throughout the show. So, in a way, the prelude is kind of like uh, an orchestra playing an overture. But it's just a bit shorter. The prelude is very short, it's got a very sad tone, very kind of dissonant, it helps to set the tone for the show we're about to see. Um, Spoiler alerts for Next to Normal, it's fucking sad and I will bawl every time I listen to the cast recording. I've tried to talk about this episode and record a podcast about it, and like I can't get through it without just sobbing profusely. Now, some preludes can be longer. They might contain singing or dialogue. The first song in Stephen Sondheim's musical Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber Fleet Street, at least the Broadway stage productions of it, not the movie version, is called Prelude, The Battle of Sweeney Todd, Attend the Tale of Sweeney Todd. It starts with an organ playing music, and then we hear a whistle screech, and the infamous musical motif of The Battle of Sweeney Todd plays, which is repeated at various points throughout the show. Hint, if you hear the same musical theme throughout a show, that means it's important. So... That's why preludes and overtures and stuff are so important because it's like, oh, I hear, I heard this one before. This means something big's going to happen or this means this is important for this character or something like that, right? Then a man comes on telling us to attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. So, you know, it's the prelude. I love Sweeney Todd. I love Sondheim's use of the word attend in this sentence because he's not just passively saying, hey, everybody, let's listen to the story about this guy. No, it's an act of urgent... Attend the tale. Attend. The man is proceeded to be joined on stage with other people who start to sing about this mysterious Sweeney Todd character until, like, this Greek chorus, not Greek as in, you know, they're from Greece, but Greek chorus as in, you know, the theater Greek chorus kind of thing. They come on stage and they interrupt, or they, they erupt in a crescendo of singing, shouting the name Sweeney Todd, and then Sweeney Todd comes on stage and tells us to attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. And then, you know, what happens then? Well, that's the play, and he wouldn't want us to give it away. So Sweeney Todd is amazing. It's one of my favorite musicals. So in any case, some preludes will be long, like the prelude in Sweeney Todd is like a full-size song. Uh, The prelude in Next to Normal is like 26 seconds. Some will have singing, some might not. Many other musicals will have an opening song called a prelude or some variation of that. But again, not every musical does. So... Both the prelude idea and the overture idea kind of harken back to earlier sort of 
music-based things. You know, the overture relates back to overtures and operas. Preludes relate back to the idea of a prelude in a classical or Baroque piece of music. Um, But now let's go with stories. So some musicals have an opening song that's going to be called prologue, or will have the word prologue in it. So here, instead of looking at the history of music and musicals and that sort of thing, now we're looking at stories. Because a prelude is, you know, like a preview of an upcoming musical thing. A prologue's like, you know, sort of some information that's important to know before a story. Prologues are found in a lot of stories and in some musicals too. And, you know, obviously not every story is going to have a prologue, but many do. And a prologue in terms of a musical is a song at the very beginning of a musical. Sometimes there might be an overture first and then the prologue. Sometimes it's just the prologue. But it's going to give us pertinent information about a character or characters and or background information about the plot that is important for the audience to know before the show starts. So prologue, since it has its roots in storytelling and stories and da-da-da, it's going to have some dialogue either spoken or sung with music. So let's look at a couple examples of prologues. Into the Woods, another Stephen Sondheim musical. Amazing. Love Into the Woods. It's got a prologue. Now, Into the Woods is a musical about what happens to classic fairy tale characters like Cinderella and Jack and the Beanstalk and that stuff, what happens to them when happily ever after ends. So the prologue introduces us to the narrator and to the characters in the show, Cinderella, her stepmother, her stepsisters, Little Red Riding Hood, Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk and his mom, the baker and his wife, and the witch. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, but I know Little Red Riding Hood. Like, why do I need a prologue? But it's because this is sort of a different take on the story. And so the characters of Little Red Riding Hood, not to say that they're entirely different from their sort of more classic fairy tale adaptations that we know them from, but this is just a different take on it. So it's important to know, and it's important that we kind of realize how these characters know each other and how they interact with each other. So in this song, we learn a lot of information. This prologue, I think, is like 10 minutes long. It's a long song. So we start learning things like Cinderella wants to go to the festival, but she can't tell she finishes the chores her stepmother and stepsisters have given her. The baker and his wife, they want a child. Little Red Riding Hood is visiting the baker because she needs to go bring her grandmother some treats. Jack's mother is insisting that he sells his cow because the cow hasn't produced any milk and they need food. So... One of my favorite Sondheim word plays in this song, um, just as an aside, is when Jack's mom tells his son, we have no time to sit and dither while her withers wither with her, and no one has a cow for a friend. Oh, God. Stephen Sondheim, just, his, like, the lyrics in his show are just brilliant. Just fucking brilliant. God. It's, I'm gonna be, like, a complete mess the day Stephen Sondheim dies which will come in the year 2077, because clearly we will have advanced the aging, uh, defying aging process. So there you go. Um, Anyways, so, you know, we also learn things like the witch is the neighbor of the baker and his wife, and she cursed their family to never be able to conceive a child, which, as we found out earlier, is something that they want. No, 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 you know. So... That's why the prologue is important, because if we just started with Cinderella at the grave, we'd be like, okay, well, yeah, Cinderella's sad because, you know, we know, we kind of know, most people know the story of Cinderella, you know, 
her, she lives with her evil stepmother and stepsisters kind of thing. The father isn't in the picture. I think he's dead. We can assume her mother probably died at some point. So, you know, we, we could start there, but then we'd find, we'd get to this, a scene with the baker and his wife and we'd be like, who the hell are these people? And why is there a witch cursing them? Like, what's what's happening? So a lot happens in the prologue of this show. The song is, like I said, it's it's long. It's like a 10 minute long song, but it's important to give this background information. So very important. Prologues, if there's a prologue in a show, it's because it's needed. It's sort of like having a prologue in a book. Some books need it, some books don't. So another great musical with prologue is Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Now this is a musical I haven't seen because it closed on Broadway before I got the chance to see it. And the only productions of it so far have been in Brazil and Japan, where I do not live. And I've heard rumors about maybe there being a London West End production. But I've listened to the show enough. And it's so good. Oh, God. The show is so good. Oh, my God. The show is so good. This was, like, ah, one of those shows. One of those, like, my brain is exploding kind of shows. So Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 sometimes just referred to as the Rick Kame, is a musical um, written and composed by David Malloy, who played Pierre in the off-Broadway production, and Josh Groban played Pierre in the first run of the Broadway cast. But it's based on part of the novel War and Peace. Now, if you haven't read War and Peace, like I have, but I've looked at the book, it's a giant fucking book that's like a billion pages long. That might be an over-exaggeration, but it's over a thousand pages long. So clearly you can't do a musical about a thousand page book because that would be insane. So this musical is taken from somewhere in the middle of the book, which if you're thinking about it, you're going to go, how does that even happen? We don't know who any of these characters are. That's why there's a prologue. The prologue introduces us to these characters because if you've read, been reading the book, you'll go, okay, well, obviously you know who everybody is you're coming to this musical, you're going, who the hell's Pierre? Who's Natasha? What's their deal? Well, this prologue tells us. So when it starts, we find out, you know, this guy who we find out later is Pierre. He comes on and he starts singing. There's a war going on out there somewhere and Andre isn't here. So we're already getting information. There's a war. It's not happening where this character is or where we're seeing the show. It's happening somewhere else. Andre isn't here. Maybe Andre's in the war. Maybe Andre's dead. We don't know. So, you know, then the full company, they start to come on, or what I assume is the full company because I haven't seen the show, uh, and then they start saying, this is all in your program. You are at the opera. going to have to study up a little bit if you want to keep with the plot, which is a nice way to kind of break the fourth wall and tell people, you know, yeah, this is based on a giant novel, but we're going to give you a breakdown. So then they start talking about each of the characters. And they give each of the characters, each of the characters in this show, they don't always sing in the third person, but oftentimes they do. So the character of Natasha might sing, Natasha is young, which she does in this song. So we learn things like that. We learn that Natasha is young. We learn that, you know, Balaga is fun. We learn that Helene is a slut. We learn that um, Lukonsky is crazy. Mary is plain, Sonia is good, Maria is old school, uh, and then we learn that Anatole is hot. We don't really learn anything about the character of Pierre in the song, 
because at the very end they sing, what about Pierre? And then they, they kind of start to describe him, but we can tell that there's more to Pierre than just a couple words. So then Pierre gets his own second song, which you could see is an extension of the first song, but it's not technically a prologue because we're actually starting the musical at this point. So it seems kind of crazy to be like, let's just give everybody one singular character trait and say that's it. You know, is it a bit of an over-exaggeration to just say that Helene is a slut? I'm sure if we read War and Peace, we'll probably find out there's more to Helene's character than her being a slut and, you know, cheating on her husband all the time. But for the purposes of this show, it's kind of necessary because we don't have time to read War and Peace. I mean, I guess if you wanted to read the cliff notes before this show, but the problem with reading the cliff notes is you're going to read the cliff notes for the whole novel and then you'll know what happens in the musical. So, like I said, prologue gives us necessary information about the story and characters beforehand. Prelude gives us information about a character or story, or it may not, but... Here's the big thing. A prelude isn't necessary to understand the story. A prologue, where it exists, is. So let's take Sweeney Todd. I love the prelude battle and all the ballads, but I understand why the movie didn't include them and just started with No Place Like London after the orchestral number during credits. The prelude isn't necessary for us to understand the story or the characters of this show. We can learn about Sweeney Todd through the first song in the movie, No Place Like London. He's bitter about something, he's angry at the world, compared to the naivete and wonder of Anthony. Now, don't get me wrong, I fucking love the prelude in the musical. I think the prelude helps to set a tone for the musical, but it's not necessary. You can still understand the story and the characters, without a prelude. Now, again, don't like jump down my throat and be like, oh my god, how could you how could you say that about Sweeney Todd? The prelude's the most amazing thing ever. I understand. I love the prelude. But what I'm saying is you don't need to hear the prelude to understand the characters. It's just a different way of showing the character. With Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, if we started the show with the song Pierre... We would learn about that character, and then the next scene would be uh, Sonia and Natasha with their godmother, Maria, about to get ready for the—or not, they're not getting ready for the opera, but they're, they're at her house, and they're having tea, and they're, they're talking about Natasha's engagement to uh, Andre. So immediately we're going, well, who the fuck are these people, and where's Andre, and— why does, like, then it doesn't start to make sense. But if we know the prologue, then we go, oh, okay, well, now we know who these characters kind of are. We kind of know a little bit about them, even though we don't know everything. Same with Into the Woods. If you started Into the Woods with Cinderella the Grave, like I said before, you're going to go, okay, well, kind of get this, but then the next song is going to come on, you're going to be like, what the fuck is happening? I don't understand how any of these characters are related, and why are they all together in a musical? So just as an aside again, uh, not every show is going to have a prologue or a prelude or an opening number, but if it does, you need to listen to it because opening numbers are very important for setting up the story, giving us an idea of the tone, giving us an idea of some of the characters, especially with a prologue. Preludes in a musical are generally pretty important too, but, you know, that's why you shouldn't be late to a 
show because you can't miss the opening number. Now let's talk about musicals that just don't have preludes or prologues. They just have a song that's the opening song. There might be an overture beforehand, but then there's a song that multiple people in casting, and that's just a general opening number. So an opening number is like chapter one of a book. It tells us about the setting of the story. It gives us a time and a place, possibly. It introduces us to some of the characters. It can help us set up the tone and the world of the show. Some opening numbers might introduce us to the premise of the musical, although if we want to think about a musical in terms of story structure, an opening number usually won't have the inciting incident of sort of the show. That's the event that gets the story going. It might, it might not. Just depends. So every musical has an opening number. Um... I'm going to talk about a couple different musicals here. I'll try not to do everything because, I mean, obviously, like I said, every musical has an opening number, so I could just pick whatever. But let's just talk about a few different ideas, like setting. Let's talk about setting. So setting refers to the time, possibly the date, the location where a story takes place. So an opening number can help introduce us to the setting of a musical, and Some musicals on their opening number will give us a literal time and date. So the opening number of the musical Rent is a song called Tune-Up Number One, and the first words sung by the character Mark are December 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that show is giving us a literal time and date for when this show is taking place. Now, we don't know the year, we don't know exactly where we are in this story, but we soon find that out because an opening number isn't going to give you Everything that you might not give you, everything you need to know, you know, it's not going to be like, here's the entire rundown of what's going to happen, but it's going to give you an idea. Another aspect of setting is location. Where does a musical take place? Sometimes a musical will reveal where the show is taking place. Some musicals are set in a specific location. Some musicals are set in a general location. So, for example, in the musical Hairspray, the first song is called Good Morning Baltimore. So through the song titles, title alone, we can tell that the musical is set in Baltimore. Some musicals might not announce the setting in the song, but they might reveal the setting through dialogue. They might reveal the setting through, you know, the set, through the costumes, through, you know, props, that sort of thing. Other times the musical might be indicative of a specific time period or location, Sometimes it's more general. So, for example, with the musical Bella, which is a jukebox musical about the uh, Nigerian musician Bella Kuti, we soon realize we are at the Shren, which is a nightclub in Lagos, Nigeria. Or the opening number of the musical Hair, Aquarius, helps us to see that we're in the 1960s in the U.S. during the hippie countercultural music Plus, the song Aquarius actually became quite popular outside this musical and has become associated with 1960s kind of hippie music. But an opening number isn't always going to reveal a lot of setting information. For example, Next to Normal. Now, I know the first song is technically the prelude that I talked about earlier, but the next number, called Just Another Day, is the first song number in the show. And in the musical, we meet the different members of the Goodman family, and we see them interact and sing about how they're trying to cope with their lives and with each other. But the song doesn't announce where the musical is taking place. The song doesn't announce, you know, exactly when, like, kind of what decade this is taking place. We can get the sense that this is probably some suburban American town, 
But at no point does the song say we're, you know, in Milwaukee or we're in Seattle or wherever. And the song doesn't tell us a specific day or time of year or anything like that because the musical, it's one of those shows where it's meant to be imagined as it can be taking place at any point in time. This could be any family. This could be happening right now, right? Like they don't want to limit you to, okay, on December 1st, 1987, uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, this story took place. That's not what this is about. Opening numbers are also important to introduce us to the characters of the show, uh, particularly if there is a main character or something like that. Now, I know in the last episode I talked about Hamilton, but I just want to say that this is such a great opening number. The opening number, Alexander Hamilton, is all of the other characters talking about Alexander Hamilton and how, not necessarily like, this is how I met Hamilton, but kind of, in a way, their relationship to Hamilton. You don't really know who these characters are, but you're hearing about this guy from these other points of views. So it's, in a way, it's kind of like an inverse of the idea of the prologue from Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet, because in that song, everybody's kind of singing about themselves and giving us a simple trait, whereas in Hamilton, everybody's singing about this one character. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar does this too. Now, spoiler alerts for Hamilton and Jesus Christ Superstar, I guess. Uh, so Hamilton is narrated... At least the song Alexander Hamilton starts off being sung by Aaron Burr, who is Hamilton's nemesis, who eventually shot Hamilton. Jesus Christ Superstar starts off the song Heaven on Their Minds. I believe there is an overture in this musical as well. But the first song Heaven on Their Minds is sung by Judas, who betrayed Jesus. So it's looking at a character and... Both Alexander Hamilton, now I'm Canadian and I kind of talked about this in the last episode, so I didn't know everything about Hamilton's life, but I kind of knew a little bit, not everything. But in the U.S., everybody is probably sort of familiar with Hamilton as being the first U.S. treasurer. So it's interesting to hear this sort of well-known-ish character through somebody else's point of view. Same thing with Jesus. Lots of people know the story about Jesus. Now, this isn't to say everybody believes this story or every, whatever, everybody needs to be Christian. I'm not saying anything. I don't want to get religion involved. But, you know, Jesus was this guy, and then he got betrayed by Judas, and he was nailed to a cross, and lots of people know that story. So this is this idea of telling a story about this character, this familiar story, through a different point of view. So by starting this opening number, you kind of go, oh, okay, this is interesting. And Heaven on Their Minds is such a great song. Because when you're listening to this song, you start listening and Judas is singing, you know, singing about how, you know, we need to be careful. These people, Jesus, they're trying to, they might be, you know, they might be believing that you're the son of God or whatever, or you're some God. But what happens when they find out this isn't real? What happens when the wrong people start to hear about these things? We're going to get in trouble. Think bad things are going to happen. And you can hear the concern for Ju from Judas, and you're not thinking, well, Judas, you're being fucking stupid. You're kind of going, wow, he's got a good point. Yeah, there's some people that are not going to like what this Jesus guy is saying, so maybe they should be careful. So those are great examples, great fucking examples of character development in an opening song. Um, another great song with great character development in another kind of indirect way 
is the musical The Last Five Years. Now, spoiler for The Last Five Years. The Last Five Years is a musical by Jason Robert Brown. It is amazing. It's one of my favorite musicals. And tells the story of five relationship between Kathy and Jamie. Now, what's interesting about this show is we know from the first song that Kathy and Jamie break up. It's there. The first song is called I'm Still Hurting, and it is Kathy singing about how Jamie is over and Jamie is gone, and Jamie's decided it's time to move on. And she's reeling in heartbreak because this relationship is over, and she doesn't understand why. Now, what's interesting about this character um, reveal here is that during the show, Kathy sings her songs from the end of the relationship going back to the beginning, and then Jamie's timeline does the typical chronological order of starting at the beginning, going to the end. So the first song is at the very end of the relationship. We know how the story ends. We just don't know why. It's kind of like I've watched Breaking Bad, and then they started the Better Call Saul spinoff a few years later. You know what happens to that character kind of in, at the end of the show. But you watch Better Call Saul because it's a great fucking TV show and because you want to find out how did this character become this way? How did this happen? So it's sort of the same thing with this musical. You watch the musical because you want to know how did the relationship end, what went wrong. So we're learning about Jamie through Kathy's eyes, but we're learning about the Jamie at the end of the musical or at the end of the chronological storyline where we don't know who Jamie was at the beginning. But then Jamie sings the next song and we find out, oh, okay, this is who Jamie is. And then it sort of goes back and forth. And the last five years is just such a fucking great musical. Oh my God. Oh my God. So good. Another musical with a great opening number is Cabaret. So the opening number of Cabaret is called Willkommen. Uh, and so this opening number is great because it doesn't... Cabaret is, is the main... I don't want to say the main character, but one of the main characters is the MC, literally the MC of this cabaret where this, a lot of the show is taking place. And so the opening number is the MC coming on stage and singing and welcoming us to this cabaret and telling us to like sit down and have fun. And then they introduce some of the other characters. Now, the characters that they introduce to the song, for the most part, aren't the most important characters in the show until we're introduced to Sal at the very end. But he's introducing us to all the other cabaret performers. And it's cabaret is a very fun show. It's a, I don't want to say it's, like, very adult, you know. I mean, it is. It's not really a, the best musical to take your kids to. There's a lot of, like, sexual innuendo kind of jokes and just, like, sort of fun things like that. So this musical is very lighthearted. We know that we, are, we must be somewhere in Europe because they're singing in German, in English, and in French. Not the entire songs, but they'll sing, like, the first opening line is Willkommen, Bienvenue, Welcome. So you got the German, you got the French, you got the English. So clearly we're probably somewhere in Europe. We're actually in Berlin in the 1930s. Um, and, you know, Cabaret starts and it's all, woohoo, that's so fun, that's so fun. But we're not introduced to any of the main characters in this show until the very end, kind of, or near the end of the song the MC introduces us to the toast of Mayfair for our line, Sally Bowles. And Sally comes on say, stage and says, hello, darlings. And then, you know, that's it. She doesn't sing a number or anything in this first opening number. But we're not introduced to Cliff in this opening number, who becomes, like, the main protagonist, I guess you could say. We're not introduced to Fräulein Schneider or Herr Schultz, who are also major characters in this show. So... Those are some great opening numbers. 
Um, I could talk about more opening numbers. I think opening numbers are just so important. Like, you can't miss an opening number. Oh, final opening number I want to talk about is A Chorus Line. Now, A Chorus Line is a musical that is about a chorus line in a musical. It's kind of a meta-musical. So, A Chorus Line, the opening number is literally a bunch of dancers auditioning to be in this chorus line. And what is great about A Chorus Line... Now, A Chorus Line isn't my favorite musical. It won the Pulitzer. I understand why people love it so much. It's just not one that I've personally connected to a whole lot. But the reason why the opening number is so good is because it just it gives you this tone for this show. You don't really know any of the ma major characters, similar to Cabaret. We don't really know the major characters that are going to be in the show. We just sort of learn about the general idea of the show. In Cabaret, the general idea is, woohoo, we're at a Cabaret, it's so much fun. In A Chorus Line, the opening number, literally called Opening Number, is, oh my god, I've got an audition for this show, and I hope he likes what I'm doing, and do I suck as a dancer? And it's sort of like this performance anxiety, you know, am I good enough sort of idea that is driving this show, which is really interesting to think about, because if you think about it, the people that are in a chorus line or that have been in a chorus line, like, on stage, probably went through the exact same thing their characters were thinking and singing on stage in the show while they auditioned to be in the show. So again, it's a meta-musical. Chorus Line is one of those opening numbers that I think is just fantastic. And it's got this, like, I want to say it's like a horn section, and it's got this, like, medley that is just, it's so, like, 1970s sounding that, like, even when I hear the 2006 revival, I just think I'm, like, going to be watching, like, a 1970s dance chorus line number. Chorus line is great, especially the opening number. It really gets the idea of the show down. So those are opening numbers. This is a pretty long episode. I'm going to end it here. I did end up talking about all the opening numbers I wanted to talk about because I thought maybe I was going to divide them into different episodes, but 42 minutes and a bit later, we are done. On the next episode of the podcast, I'm going to talk about something about musicals, but again, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. So stay tuned for that. I will try to upload an episode more than once every six to ten billion years or so. I'm going to try to do one at least once a month if I can. Sometimes it can be hard for me to record these, so we'll see how it goes. But anyways, thank you very much for listening, and I hope you all have a great day. Goodbye.